Hi, I'm Lara Johnson-Wheeler and I'm a writer slash editor slash broadcaster. This is The Fashion Slashy, a Click and Me podcast. Every episode, I will be talking to a member of the fashion industry whose work I'm keen to know more about, delving into their process, their trajectory and how they navigate a career in fashion. Click and Me is the fashion network, helping creatives connect and collaborate better. This episode has been recorded remotely under lockdown conditions implemented by the government. You may hear birds, cars, or occasional household sounds in the background. This week's guest is Duran Lanting. Duran, could you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Duran Lanting. I'm an artist slash designer slash upcycler. I live in Amsterdam and I operate from my studio here in Amsterdam. Duran, it's such a pleasure to be speaking to you all the way in Amsterdam. Feels like it's so far away from London at this present moment we're living in. It's crazy, yeah? It's really crazy. So somehow we're all very connected through the internet, but then also it feels like we're in a sort of, well, we are in a lockdown, but it feels like everybody's in his own cocoon at the moment. So Duran, speaking from your current cocoon, can you tell me, how do you define your role in the fashion industry? Uh, I define my role as somebody who's been operating outside of the box in the beginning. Yeah, I think it was really important for me to start rethinking and reimagining the dead stock which is laying around and find new ways to make um, sustainability also attractive in a way. I think it was really important for me to showcase sustainability mm. in a very fashionable and a very fun way. Whether I think in the beginning sustainability was always a topic where everybody thought it's boring or it's too deep and we just want to have fun in fashion. And I think for me it was very important to operate in a way that I could show people that sustainability and um, upcycling is actually very fun and also very, yeah, um, now in a way. Definitely. That makes sense. You've definitely <laughs> taken um, the aesthetic of sustainability, which used to be a kind of a little bit crunchy and oaty, you know, that kind of fusty mm-hmm sort of appearance yeah and you know Mm -hmm. played with that you've kind of cut it up and as you mentioned upcycling is such a big part of your practice can you tell me a little bit about how you feel upcycling has been interesting when working specifically with luxury brands Uh, For me, it was really important to upcycle luxury brands in a way because I think a lot of people are always thinking about, you know, upcycling vintage or uh, upcycling things that they found on the market. But I was also thinking about in the luxury world, you kind of want to own something which is a collectible, which is something which is unique. You know, I'm a huge fan of fashion and big houses in a way as the aesthetic. And as I grew up in the 90s, so I was always, you know, McQueen was Mm. always a big inspiration or uh, Galliano. It's almost kind of a cliche, of course, to say McQueen and Galliano. But they were. And for me, that was all about uniqueness and yeah, something that you could dream of in a way. And now I think that selling the dream became a bit too um, mainstream. So I'm always eager to kind of find new ways to make luxury more special in a way. Yeah, of course. That makes any sense. Um, Duran, remind me, where did you study? I studied at the Rietveld Academy in Amsterdam. So I did my bachelor degree in, at Rietveld and then I did a master degree at the Sandberg Institute. It's part of Rietveld, actually. Um, there, the master was all about sustainability. And I got like two years to reflect on the work I've been doing and how to enter the fashion world in a way that works for me. I've read before that you kind of said that cutting patterns and doing that kind of work in fashion education wasn't so interesting to you. you always wanted to be kind of working with these processes of cut and pasting 
How do you feel that your education kind of supported you in that process or conversely not? Well, in the beginning, they really didn't support me. I've been doing so many schools, Lara, it's crazy. I think I've had like five or six mm. different schools and I just didn't want to cut patterns. So I also didn't go to those classes because yeah. it didn't make any sense for me. I just wanted to work with existing closing pieces and, mm-hmm. you know, create my own reality and create something which I think is important. Yeah, for me, the starting point of designing is an existing closing piece and in the beginning that was really hard and then during the Rietveld the new headmaster came in and he kind of thought it was interesting but it was still a bit about you know don't talk too much about it just do it and don't use it in your communication so Mm. people will find out they might think you're a lazy designer or it's more styling Um, yeah I think my teachers were scared for me it's so interesting to hear that you were kind of um you know warned away from putting this in your comms because obviously in the times that we're living in, working as an upcycling designer is so unsustainable. That's literally the buzzword of the moment. (laughs) I know, I know. But I wonder if it's also got something to do with why you use the word artist in your slashies. Because obviously, you know, fashion, I think, likes to see itself as such a progressive industry as a, you know fashion design as a medium that's always inventing Mm -hmm. but it's interesting that it's the basis of traditionalism that sort of almost Mm -hmm. stopped yourself and other upcoming designers in the industry from Mm -hmm. really truly being progressive and moving forward Mm -hmm. in a sustainable way no true true Uh, for me it has always been kind of hard giving it a name so it always has been hard during my uh, study years they've been calling me a stylist they've been calling me an artist they've been calling me a photographer Mm. where now i'm kind of in the age where i think well fine then i'm an artist you know for whatever as long as i think i'm doing something right it's something that we think about this question that you're bringing up quite a lot on this podcast i think you're such an excellent example duran of this type of Mm -hmm. you know as we're using this lingo the fashion slashy as someone who takes on these different roles Mm -hmm. and is able to kind of move and manipulate the industry by doing exactly that by defining your position in in your own way thank you that's that's very sweet (laughs) no but i mean i think it's super important and i think for me like the key thing is that i just stay true to myself and i've been fighting for so long with all these different issues within fashion you know you're either a men's designer or a women's designer uh new Mm. material no new materials it's just always been this struggle and i think with all these small Mm. fights it made me stronger and it made me even more believe in the fact that i don't have to choose exactly you can kind of carve out your own position exactly uh, in in the industry yeah durant let's just hark ourselves back if you don't mind because i was doing my research this morning as i told you Mm -hmm. earlier before we got on to our call and i couldn't Mm. help but get Janelle Monáe's pink stuck in my head, um, which of course is such a pivotal uh, music video, such a pivotal moment um, when discussing your career mm-hmm. as the famous mm-hmm. vagina trousers was something that really brought you into the consciousness of not just the fashion community, but, you know, popular culture. I know that you are sick <laughs> of talking about the vagina trousers, so I'm not going to ask you more about them. But yeah. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about the process that came after those vagina trousers what was the impact that those had and 
from that collaboration in creating that wonderful garment. Can you tell me a little bit about how mm -hmm. more collaborations came into your practice? Mm, I mean, first of all, I made the vagina pants, not with the idea it would explode in that way. So basically, I think we were at the video clip and then, uh, how do you say that? The video clip? Is that English? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah. music video. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we were at the music video, the recordings, and we packed our bags. And I was like, okay, I don't have to see that pants ever again. It's just fine. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> a half year later, uh, kind of the internet broke down with that music video, uh, which was great for me, obviously. I think, yeah, what happened afterwards is that the IFS, so the IFS was the International Fashion Showcase. I joined them. So basically that was in London at the Somerset House. And after that, uh, things started rolling. So I got invited by Nick Knight with Show mm. Studios, who made a video, which was really wonderful. Very honored also with Simon Foxen. And I think that was really, really great. And then afterwards, that ball started rolling into towards the LVMH prize. Somehow the ball got rolling, but I'm never, it's probably because of the vagina pants, but I don't really know because the IFS, so the International Fashion Showcase, uh, they selected me actually on another project, which was the transgender sex workers in uh, South Africa, the collaboration with them. So I'm never really sure if that was the vagina pants. But You'll never know the true power of the pussy pink pants. Yeah. <laughs> the trousers, yeah. You mentioned the collaboration with the sex workers, and I've read a little bit about this, but I think it's a project of yours that's criminally under-discussed. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how that collaboration came into place? Yeah, so basically um, uh, me and Jan Hoek, so Jan Hoek is one of my best friends. Uh, I like to mm. collaborate with my best friends, but I think that's also a lot of people like to do that though. Uh, because Emma also, Emma is the producer of the pink video. And then Jan Hoek also at the same school. We really wanted to do something together. Like we wanted to collaborate mm. and he's a photographer slash artist. And I don't know, we just bought a bottle of wine and we started Googling and we saw a photo on Google where two girls were sort of wrapped in like fluo neon uh, net stockings. And so we were like, wow, who are these girls? Like, we really want to collaborate with these girls. They look so amazing. So we just started doing research. And I think it was like on partypick.com or so. It was like a super random website. Mm. And then we found out the name. So the one was called Coco and the other one was called Lolly. Little did we know they were living in South Africa. Um, so we started doing research and we found out that they were trans girls. So we got a fund from uh, the Dutch government to visit the girls and started collaborating with them because uh, we really wanted to do a collaboration where we started making a collection together. Mm -hmm. We found out that there were 40 trans girls and they are part of Sweat. With Sweat is a safe space for trans people in South Africa. So they gather once a week to tell their stories and to get tested and to get food. And a lot of girls are living under the bridge. I mean, we came in and we we asked them if they wanted to, to collaborate and they were like completely hysterical like screaming yeah we love fashion <laughs> and are huge fans of Vivian Westwood yeah. and all their names are um, you know Coco Chanel and you have Joan Collins and it's really amazing so what we started to do is we did everything very democratic so we didn't have enough money to do 40 girls so we let them decide and choose which girls are the ambassadors of the collaboration and with that we made a dream shoot so we asked all the girls uh, what is your biggest dream and on the hand of the dream we made a dream photo shoot so Joan Collins for instance is the oldest she's 65 and she really wanted to be a bride because she realized that she would never will be able to marry because she's trans and she's also older and she's a nurse by day and a sex worker by night so me and Jan married her and then we mm. created like this huge wedding dress and then Coco wanted to be the flame of the Statue of Liberty mm. and so you had like all these amazing dreams and then next to that I created a collection together with 
them. Mm. And that's also an ongoing collaboration. So basically next year we're doing a show in Cape Town. Oh, amazing. Yeah, really great. And we're also trying to get a bigger brand on board in order for them to create collections when we are gone. So they also have like the choice to do sex work or to do something other than sex mm-hmm. work because basically they don't really have a lot of choice, Yeah, which is not good. So we're trying to find ways to give them more choices in a creative field. I understand. I'm so interested in how you've managed to kind of explain the way that this collaboration, you know, worked not as just being, it's so often in fashion that collections can kind of mine inspiration from the work of minorities. Exactly. But this collaboration is so interesting because it's not doing that, it's actually being involved in their lives and specifically not only raising awareness to people like our listeners. No, for us that was so important and for them too, you know, it's to give them a stage and to show their wonderful style. We created a book also which is a book where Mm. all the stories are in and it starts from documentary to fiction so it's also kind of a dream story and it's very important for the girls to have this stage because they're wonderful girls and it's really important that we see that you know as a bigger audience yeah. so um yeah it's so wonderful that you instead of just having you know the initial image that you found um just kept on your mood board and then staying in your mm-hmm. you know relatively privileged fashion bubble and creating a collection based on these people that you went out and and really worked with them. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, I wanted to just move us on a little bit because I was so interested Mm -hmm. that... um, how sort of seamless this collaboration mm-hmm. with Jan, with your best friend that you just spoke about, how kind of easy and seamless it seemed to be. Yeah. Being, you know, you had a bottle of wine, yeah. and just kind of looking at some images. But can you tell me a bit more about kind of your daily practice of working? Yeah. What is it really like <laughs> being in your studio every day? And are you creating projects on commission? You know, you've worked in the past, I know, doing lots of collaborations with luxury retailers, Browns and Galleries Lafayette, for example. What are you working on right now, Duran? Um, I'm working on my own collection at the moment because we have a lot of scraps in the studio and I thought well I'm just going to create an own collection amazing yeah we're showing that in one of the fashion weeks in February it's the first time I'm doing like Mm. my own own collection because normally we work on commission where I think it's very important that we sell the pieces before we make them so it's basically an agreement with a multi-brand store yeah Um, we make I don't know 80 pieces and then it goes into that store which worked really well for me because you become a stockless company so in the end it's kind of a paradox because I still have some stock in the studio, but now we are creating a collection out of that, which is mm. really great. And I'm really happy with that. Um, I'm doing that. I'm doing another project with jumpers. We're doing some projects that I can't really speak about. Uh. Another Duran secret project. I'm sure it's a big celebrity. Someone of the ilk of Billie Eilish or one of them. Let's actually talk a little bit about celebrity commissions because I think it must be something that our listeners would be incredibly interested to know how it works. So, of course, generally it's a stylist who comes to you. Is that correct? Yeah. And then how do you approach... Let's take Billie Eilish, for example. Mm-hmm. Her stylist yeah. approached you yeah. um, having seen you on Instagram. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then what's the process from there? How did you work together to create garments for Billie? Um, well, I think Samantha, so that's the, the stylist of Billie Eilish. She contacted me and she was like, hey, I really love what you're doing. Uh, Billie has a lot of pieces that she's never worn or that were damaged. It's just a lot of pieces hanging in her closet and doing nothing. And she's really keen on doing things with sustainability. It would be great for you to collaborate with Billie, which was 
is really great, of course. Um, it's really, really mm. good to have these younger artists that are, you know, so influential talking about sustainability and also giving it a stage. So basically what she did, she sent me, I think, two or three boxes with Billy her outfits, cool. her clothes. And then we started repurposing them in the studio and then also on commission. So they don't pay the full price, though, but they do pay. I think mm. it's really important also for other people, if you do collaboration with a celebrity, they have to pay because I think it's a really, really weird situation where celebrities get free stuff. It doesn't make any sense, especially for what I'm doing because I'm upcycling clothes and my whole idea is that it's a life cycle, that it's for life long and it's not for just one event where you can wear it and then it's gone, you know? I couldn't agree more. It's also such a strange tension. Yeah. I've worked with brands before, have done big celebrity commissions and then they're yeah. sort of paid in what the celebrity yeah. or the stylist refers to as exposure. Yeah, exactly. What would you say to young brands or designers to help them kind of stop this system from happening? Well, I think it's very important to just don't play the game of the bigger brands. Mm. You know, bigger brands are actually paying a lot of money for celebrities to wear their dresses. And I think we shouldn't be part mm. of that game. Celebrity make enough money in a way, you know, and a celebrity should be the ones supporting younger designers and younger talents. For younger designers, it really is important mm. that you discuss the financial parts right in the beginning. If we as the younger generation and the beginning designers start unifying and start saying no, then that system can change, you know. I think particularly in terms of social media and the way that gifting is now seen as such a kind of yeah. commodification and a yeah. way to, you know, upscale a brand. Where do you stand on that kind of concept mm. of, you know, giving influential people product for free in order to, to get exposure? Yeah, for me, especially for younger designers, it doesn't make any sense. You know, there's, there's put a lot of love and hours in towards those pieces and you should get paid for that. Mm. You shouldn't give that away for just another Instagram following. And I don't believe in giving things for free in order to get a thousand extra followers, whatever. I mean, I think as long as the good people are following you and then good people are people who you find interesting or who you think you can connect with as long as those people are, are following you and you're in contact with that I think mm. that's where Instagram is a great medium but I mean the amount of following yeah who cares yeah it's very inspiring to hear someone speak about this so candidly because I think it's something that's very much ignored in the industry and particularly in brands who are moving with the sustainable tide and attempting to make their business sustainable in the sense of fiscally sustainable as well mm -hmm. as environmentally sustainable. It's so interesting that this is still such a tension. Mm -hmm. But Joanne, tell me a little bit about the process of you sourcing your clothes. Because I know you use um, quite a lot of charity shops where you look for, you know, clothes on the street or discarded clothes. I mean, obviously this practice is quite specific to you and the way that you do things. Mm -hmm. But how do you think that other designers could kind of emulate this and in particular, you know, be a little bit more mm -hmm. creative and therefore conscious when sourcing fabrics? It's a hard one though. No, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be garments, obviously. It can also be, you know, it's also interesting to go into factories and see what's misproduced. Mm. You know, n normally a big brand, there's a pattern and it doesn't work, you know. And normally that's like the most beautiful thing you would ever see, but they will throw it away because it's not exactly how they wanted it to be. So there are a lot of leftovers. Right. And I think it's really, really important for starting designers to start researching other options and not going to this... Because in the end, you want to do something unique. And, and I think it's even more unique if you could find things that are not being massively produced in order for young designers to create collections. No, of course. Joanne, I'm really excited to see your upcoming collection. Hopefully you do 
show in London. Yes. And I'm interested that this move is one that you wanted to take. What pushed you into the desire to create a collection rather than continue working on commission? I, I just never do collections because I think it's kind of outdated in a way, you know? I think it's kind of outdated to start with look number one and then look number six is the brother of look number 12. And my inspiration now is them, for instance, Army. I don't know, I was in my studio and I saw all these scraps and I had a lot of Army pieces as well. I was like, hmm, maybe I should try to do the traditional thing. But then mm. in the other hand, I mean, it's one big experiment because normally what I do is I, mm. I treat every piece individually. So if I create a range of closing pieces, it doesn't mm. necessarily make sense in a whole collection in on a traditional side. Because what is a collection? In? When will the collection be shown? In uh, January? No, 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 February. February. And are you planning to do a traditional catwalk show? Is that something you're interested in doing? I mean, I imagine you'll be doing something innovative, knowing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be great. And I really love doing shows because I've been doing one show here in Amsterdam, which I really liked. I really liked the energy of it. Mm. And I remember I loved doing my uh, graduation show as well. I'm kind of excited for it. But the only scary part is that it's just me, you know? And normally I do the collaboration. And now I'm just... Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I'm just... On my own. And I think the whole thing of this collection is the frustration in a way that people always say sex sells. Mm. So I'm kind of playing with the whole mm. the, the whole idea of sex sells. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because I think that's yeah. so weird yeah. in a way, you know. Oh, Duran, I'm very excited to see this. But I just wanted to come back to what you just said about yeah. collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> because I think that's such a fascinating notion that I've never really thought about. Of If you're mm. a creative and you're kind of yeah. used to collaborating... That feeling of being left a little bit exposed mm. when you're producing work with only your name on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just another feeling, I guess. And I really never thought about that until I'm now doing this own collection. You become more insecure in a way. You feel more naked in a way, which I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's just in my mind and probably I have that problem as well when I'm doing a collaboration with Browns, but then mm. you can't remember it anymore, you know, because you're always dealing with some kind of insecurity or I think that's part of a process, which is for me personally, it inspires me to do better. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would say, and I totally disagree with this, <laughs> Um, so a lot of people would say when you're on a certain level in fashion, you should always keep that level mm. up. So never fall down. Just try to go up, 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 up. But where I am like, and I'm really happy that I'm speaking it out now because now I'm getting really excited about my collection again. It's not necessary. You don't have to go up. It's really beautiful to make mistakes. I don't even know if this collection is a mistake, but it's really good to do things that maybe later on you would think, hmm, maybe this is not really my thing. Mm. But I think experimenting, you know, it brings you up in a way. And that sort of leads me to my last question, which is a very difficult question, but really it's about success. And I want to know in your practice, in your career, what do you think success would mean to you? And what do you think that would look like? I think in the fashion world, success became such a weird, negative and toxic environment where I think for me being successful is doing the things I love and being appreciated by the people I think understand me. And I don't even know if I have an end goal though, but I mean, my goal is to create things that people really appreciate and being successful in that and also doing more collaborations with transgender sex workers and really mm. being inclusive with outsiders or people who are being seen as outsiders. I think that's also very important. To create and to create access yeah. through your Yeah, success. exactly. Beautiful. Create access to success. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Duran. <laughs> <laughs> Duran, thank you so much for speaking with me this morning. Thank you for inviting me, though. It's been such a pleasure. You are and always will be a fashion slashy. <laughs> this has been a Click of Me podcast. 
Join our community to discover, connect and collaborate with fashion creatives. You can follow Clicker Me on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Stay tuned for more from me.